Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. All right, as you settle in there in your pews or if you're worshiping from home, we're going to be reading today from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. Uh, the words are there on the screen, uh, also printed in your order of worship, your bulletin. Of course, you could turn there in your own Bible as well. All right, let us hear these words from the Apostle Paul. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, and so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again in the, he the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with great honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body giving the greater honor to the inferior member. And there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, deeds of power, gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, it is with thanksgiving in our hearts that we gather for worship this day and any day. <clears throat> Today we gather around these words from St. Paul, perhaps words and images we know well, and yet we know in the reading and in the sharing of this word that your spirit is at work among us and in us and teaching us in a new way. So may it be so today that our spirits are open to your spirit, speaking through the words of Scripture speaking through the songs and fellowship and prayers, guiding us and uniting us, helping us to follow you more faithfully. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Derek Thompson 
is a journalist with The Atlantic. He's also a kind of public intellectual, a public journalist. You've probably seen him on television sometimes over the last few years. He's sort of been a lead commentator on all things pandemic-related. From the very beginning up until even the last few weeks, he continues to kind of be at the forefront, helping us think about what's happening in the pandemic and and what it means for our world. He's been a favorite of mine to follow during this. I feel like he offers a pretty balanced and thoughtful and thorough and fair, you know, overview of what's happening and how we ought to think about it. Part of that writing and part of his work has been on the more technical side, like when will vaccines be available, but part of it has been on the more cultural side, like what is this doing to our world and what's happening in our country? A few weeks ago, he shared some reflections about the way in which every iteration of the pandemic has left us as a nation or even as a world sort of divided in figuring out how to best respond. Now I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to try to step on everyone's toes before I'm done here. Are you ready? All right, listen. He kind of went through the timeline. He said, at the beginning, we were divided over whether this was the flu or whether this was something more serious. And then we were divided over whether we should wear masks or not wear masks. Then we were divided over whether we should have government or organized shutdowns or, or not. Then we were divided over whether we should have vaccines or mandated vaccines or not. And his point in that writing and in that article was to say that, interestingly enough, those were not necessarily the same groups every time. Right? Someone may have found them on, on this side of the argument on one issue, but then they're on this side of the argument on the other issue, and then they're on this side, right? So you, 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 might, you might even identify yourself there, like, well, I'm, I'm kind of on this side on this one, I'm kind of on this side on this one, right? So, and so it's not necessarily it's the same group. It wasn't, wasn't party A versus party B, but with every issue, we kind of found a way to divide ourselves often in a way that was was painful and difficult. And you can see and you've experienced with each wave, with the Delta wave, now with this new wave, those same debates come to the surface again. Now my sense, personally, pastorally, is that the the debate is a little less pronounced now. Like we've kind of figured out how people think about this, and some people think this way and some people think that way. And maybe we're just tired of talking about it, right? I think his writing is helpful because it helps to sort of shine a light on our cultural divisions. could be about the pandemic, that's the example in this case, but it could be about a lot of other things as well. Right? Whenever there's a hot-button issue, whenever there's something important going on in the larger society, we often find ourselves in certain camps, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in doing so, we make an enemy out of the other camp. And we look for all the ways in which we can differentiate ourselves And we sort of take some pride in that. Now, as a pastor and as a church leader, my sort of thoughts about all this, my questions about all this is, is how is the church different? How is the church different? When these hot-button things are happening, when these cultural things are happening, is there something different about the way we as a church respond? Or do we simply reflect the larger issues in society? Are we just a mirror to what's happening outside of the church? And again, that's not just in reference to the pandemic. That's over a hundred other things. Think of anything, right? Any popular hot topic issue in the news. And then ask yourself, how does the church respond? How does our church respond? Are we divided and arguing and bickering just like the rest of the world? Or are we doing something different here? And if so, what does that look like? What does that feel like? 
Today we read from 1 Corinthians 12, and we did also last week. It's really one kind of whole chapter, but we're doing it in two weeks here, dividing it up. And you have heard this this part of the Bible probably many times. It is a, a favorite part of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. We, we presume to be the case that the church in Corinth is, is experiencing some division, right? some hierarchical consternation. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 12, both last week and this week, Paul's vision, Paul's understanding, Paul's description for what should be happening in the church. And so you famously have, have heard, and I mean you have heard famously over and over again, the, the text that I just read, right? That the church is like a human body. The church is like a human body. But the first thing we need to say before we jump into Paul's understanding of that is, is, just, is just say a little bit more about where Paul is getting this metaphor. And what I mean by that is this idea of a social structure being organized around something like a human body, that is really not unique to Paul, right? We have a lot of sources that predate Paul where people writing about some social structure, a family, a business, a government, a community, lots of sources before Paul said, it seems obvious that when you organize people, they ought to be organized like a body, right? You ought to have a head, a king, a leader, a governor, a boss, you ought to have some, some middle management types, arms and fingers and shoulders. And then you ought to have lower parts, right? Laborers, low-level citizens to do the work, right? And so this metaphor of, of society as a body, that is really not unique to Paul. You need to know that before we jump into it, right? It seems obvious to everyone, right, that people should organize themselves according to a hierarchy, Right? Businesses have someone who's in charge. They have people in the middle and they have people at the lower level. Schools have people who are in charge. They have people working in the middle level. They have people at the lower. This is the way society functions. And so what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 12 is really crafty, right? Because what he does is he takes a metaphor that everyone would have known, right? You organize yourself like a body. You have a head, you have eyes, you have the brains, you have the leaders, you have middle management, you have those people. And you have, he takes a metaphor that everyone would have known that no one would have argued with and he turns it upside down, right? He's sort of tr- tricking the readers a little bit, right? See, the church is just like a body, right? It's just like a body. It's got a head, it's got eyes, it's got legs, it's got arms. It's just like a body. You know how that works. But in the church, every member, every part of the body is equally important. Equally important. And that would have hit those original readers, and that should hit us sort of like a, a stone, right? Kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that the feet and the knees are as equally as important as the eyes and the ears? Yeah, that's what Paul says, right? So he uses this metaphor, and he inverts it. He, he turns it upside down. And he says it's not a hierarchy. It's not that some parts are more important than others. Rather, it's that all of the parts are equally necessary. What good is a head and ears and eyes if you don't have a a foot or an arm? And so instead of highlighting the differences, Paul is trying to bring together the, the unity. And so he says here in 1 Corinthians 12 so poetically, and I hope you heard as I was reading over and over and over again, one body, one body, one body, one body, baptized into the same spirit. One body. And so Paul is taking attention away from the, the differences, 
right, the hierarchy, and instead trying to shine a light on, on what makes us united, what brings us together. We are reminded, you may remember your junior high health class, that was the last health class I had. Uh, I'm not someone who studied or went into the medical profession, so some of you know these diagrams better than I do. But we should be reminded just how complex and how unique the human body is. I mean, think about all that's going on in our bodies at any given time. We have neurological processes, we have a nervous system, we have that musculoskeletal system, and all the while those things are working, our organs are doing work, our heart is pumping blood and sending it to all the parts of our body. I mean, it's totally, totally fascinating. Everything that happens in a body, and all of it has to be working together at the same time. Now, occasionally, right, we have an injury, Right? We have surgery on an elbow or a shoulder or a knee. We not even have surgery on an organ or even a heart. Right? But those things are very delicate and very careful because we've you know, we got to keep all those parts working together. One thing that should seem obvious to you is that we cannot create, we cannot fabricate a human body. With all of its complexities and beauty and wonder, with all of our scientific intentions and, and skills, we can't make this. Like, it's incredible that this just happens and it all works so well. In fact, there was an attempt at it this week by a lab over in the UK, a robotics lab, where they're trying to make a human-type robot that not only can move its arms and legs and torso like a human, that in itself would be fascinating, but they're trying to create a human-type robot that can express nonverbal communication, right? And so they put together a, a middle-aged man, a face-like structure over a, a bunch of robotics inside. And it's supposed to be able, they hope, to do the things that you do with your face, right? Raise your eyebrow, wink, right? Turn your mouth sideways. In fact, there's a little bit of a video with it, and I hope, hope it plays here. All right, check this out. What do you think about this guy? <laughs> do you like it? Is this scaring you? Does it look like it's alive? <laughs> <laughs> All the people said, uh, all people online said, yeah, that looks like a human if you're off your rocker, right? So maybe if they didn't have all the reactions going uh, back to back and, and simultaneously, right? Have you been in a meeting with someone who's dying to say something, but they don't get a chance to speak? Have you seen them make these faces before? <coughs> right? I've, I've had a few of those moments myself. The point being, both with this robot and with the broader human body, is all of the complexities and wonderful and peculiar things that our body does we can't we can't make it ourselves right sort of a gift that's given to us god designed us this way and this is the way our bodies function i want you to hear real clearly that i think paul is trying to make a similar argument about the church a similar argument about the church a body with all of its complexities and peculiarities and wonders is simply a gift that has been given to us by God. You can't make it yourself. It is what it is. The church, with all of its different members and peculiarities and differences, is not something that we create or cause. Rather, it is just something that God has given us. In other words, when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 12 about many gifts and, and many skills and, and many members in one body, what he's saying to those people and what he's saying to us is, is the church that's united by the Holy Spirit, this isn't something that you aspire to, right? Paul's not wagging his finger and saying you ought to be this way. Rather, what he's saying is 
It's just simply the way God made it. Simply the way God made it. You are united by one spirit. You are baptized into one body. It doesn't matter how different you think you are from one another, how peculiar you think the other people are. It doesn't matter if you think you're an important head or you're a lowly foot. This is the way that God has made the church. And because God has made it this way, it is simply a gift to receive. Right? Look at what God has done here. Look at, look at the weird people in this room, right? I can't believe that God decided to make us into a church, and yet, that's what God did. And so when we talk about the unity of the church, when we talk about the diversity of the body of Christ, we're not just talking about how we ought to be. We're talking about what God has already done. Right? What God has already done. And Paul says, therefore, because God is the one who did this, because God is the one who baptized us in this way and brought us in in this way, because it's God's work that's bringing us together by the power of the Holy Spirit, you simply have no choice in the matter in terms of recognizing and celebrating one another. You have no choice. Those strange people in your church, those people who think differently than you, that believe a little bit differently than you, that work a little bit differently than you, I don't know why God brought them here, but he did, right? And they've been given to us, hands and arms and feet and eyes and nose and ears. And this strange collection makes us into the body of Christ, the church. Now, Paul concludes, as he did uh, last week, he includes and then concludes uh, with this long list of, of, of offices, we might call them. He says that some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, some deeds of power, some with gifts of healing, Some offer forms of assistant or forms of leadership. Some speak in tongues. But are all apostles or prophets or teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? I heard one one commentary described it this way, that this list is not necessarily meant to be comprehensive, but instead is just kind of a representative of of diverse gifts. And, and And this scholar described it this way. I want you to hear this really clearly, that no one has every one of these gifts. That no one has every one of these gifts, whether the offices we just read or the gifts we talked about last week earlier in chapter 12. No one has every one of these gifts, and no one of these gifts is exercised by everyone. No one has every one of these gifts, and no one of these gifts is exercised by everyone, meaning quite simply that we all have some things within the church that we're good at, that we're, we're gifted to do, right? Some skills, right? Some things that God has allowed us, invited us to thrive in. And then we all have some things in church that we're not so good at, right? Some skills that we don't necessarily have, right? Including your pastors and your staff, right? We have some things we're good at. There's some things about pastoring that I'm better at. There's some things about pastoring that I'm not so good at. And certainly the same is true for all of you. I was looking through the internet this week's uh, social media. Of course, I, I follow tons of churches and other clergy on my social media feeds. And so on Sunday, it's just like a, a cacophony of church services, streaming, sermons, updates. And, and, and that's helpful because it sort of allows me to see what other churches are doing and what's going on. And, and so I keep up with a lot of other ministries in that way. Uh, one thing I stumbled upon this week, I was looking through the social media and I came across a video Uh, of a worship service at a recovery-style church, a recovery-style ministry. So those who are recovering from addiction, drug or alcohol addiction. And this was a worship service based around those needs. And so that's interesting. I don't don't know a lot about that. So I'll, I'll click on that. I'll watch that for a minute. And I was just sort of caught off guard because this older gentleman, I mean, he was preaching uh, like fire and brimstone, 
You know what I mean? Like he was pacing and he was waving his Bible and he was raising his voice. Right? I mean, he was really preaching. You know what I mean? And I hate to confess to you that I felt in my heart, my spirit, that little seed of, of kind of jealousy and judgment. Why is, he, why is he preaching like that? That's not the way I preach, right? Why is he yelling? Why is he so intense, right? That's not how, that's not how sermons should sound. And then I turned to 1 Corinthians 12 to work on my sermon. And what's it say, right? Well, some of you have some gifts and some of you have other gifts. And it sort of clicked with me, like, well, maybe a recovery ministry, like, I don't, I, I, what would I say in a sermon, in that sort of service? I have no idea, right? Maybe this guy was delivering the exact sort of sermon that those people needed to hear. Right? And so when we talk about many gifts in one body, we're not just talking about our church. We're kind of talking beyond our church. Other churches, other denominations, other traditions, all being used by God for particular things, for particular services. And certainly the, true, the same is true within our church. One thing that I told our, our folks who attended our leadership orientation a couple of weeks ago, and, and I want to tell you, and I want to, to make so clear, our church is at its best, our church is strongest, where you are serving in your areas of giftedness. That is just true. That's not only true for our church, but it's certainly true here. If you went down the list of our church ministries that are the strongest, those would be the ministries where lay people are leading and serving. Now, that doesn't mean the staff don't play a role. The pastors play a role, particularly on Sunday morning. The staff kind of do the business of the church during the week. But our ministries really thrive where you all do, do the work, right? Where your gifts come to the surface, in children's ministry, at the Whithouse, at Vacation Bible School, right? People just come and do those things without us even really asking them. And that's where our church thrives. And the opposite is true. Like our church struggles. We need, we need more leadership. We need more service in other areas, right? If you measured a few areas of the church where we're not so strong, it's because we need you. We need some people to step into those roles, to step into those gifts. Many members, one body. I'll conclude with the last thing, and, and this will sort of be my, my take-home point. This will be my, my fire and brimstone point if there is one, right? When Paul talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to hear really clearly. It is a metaphor, but it's not an abstraction. It is a metaphor, but it's not an abstraction. What Paul says is that by the Holy Spirit, by baptism, we are the body of Christ. And I'll remind you that on Good Friday, Jesus Christ was put to death. Jesus Christ was put to death. He was dismembered. He was killed. And every time we in the church, every time we cut someone out or cut someone off, then we repeat the events of Good Friday all over again. You are the body of Christ. And so you're not allowed to cut off a foot or a hand or an eye or an ear. You didn't choose those parts. God chose them. God put them here. God united them by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, of course, mean that church will be easy. In fact, it, it kind of means that church will sometimes be hard. It means there'll be times we don't agree. There'll be times we have to have difficult conversations. But what it does mean is that we in the church will never, ever say to one another, I have no need of you. We in the church will never say to one another, I have 
no need of you. Because, because God has brought us all here. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the diversity and the peculiarities of church. We give thanks that you have seen fit to call us to this place, to this congregation, to this time, to this space. God, all of these parts, these ears and eyes and hands and feet, all of us united together by the power of your Spirit, working as one for the good of your kingdom, serving one another, serving our community. God, despite all the forces around us that cry out for division and difference, God, may the church, may our church, be a place of unity and care and love, not because we're all the same, but rather because we have been united by something greater than our differences. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.